Before the human race harnessed the power of fire, there was only darkness. An inky black foreboding abyss that concealed danger, mystery, and fear. Into that darkness, brave men would not venture. For as the map says, here, there be monsters. Welcome to Here There Be Monsters Podcast. I am your captain, Derek Hayes. Boy, do I have a show for you tonight. But before we get started, a little grunt work. If you've had an encounter and would like to share your story, you can do so by calling the Here There Be Monsters Podcast hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. As always, the call is simple, quick, and free. Follow the prompts and record after the tone. For those of you who'd rather submit via the web, head over to the website at www.herethebemonsterspodcast.com and click on the Report Your Sighting tab to submit your story in writing. I'm looking forward to sharing your story. Now, in case you missed it, this past Sunday I released the very first installment of Here There Be Monsters Bare Bones. Bare Bones is a short, ten-minute or less mini-episode that highlights one personal story. Just a little something to hold you over until next week's full episode. So keep an eye out for the next installment this coming Sunday evening. Alright, enough of all that. Let's get on with tonight's show. Anyone familiar with the American Southwest knows its magic. The eerie echoes of the Utah Canyonlands. The otherworldly heat of the Death Valley. The high strangeness engulfing Joshua Tree and the unnerving silence of the Great Basin Wasteland. But one place stands out above all the other desolate expanses of land. One place so mysterious, even its name is synonymous with mystery. The Superstition Mountains. The Superstitions, as they are often called, are located just east of Phoenix, Arizona, and harbor a plethora of hidden treasures, myths, and legends. Our first call originates from these ominous peaks. Hey. Uh, my name's Eliza, and um, I was uh, backpacking down in Arizona. 
Actually, I was in the Superstition Mountains, which you should do like a whole show on because that place is really strange. There's a lot of crazy uh, Native American folklore there, and it's just a bizarre place. And I've uh, backpacked there several times and always had some weird, uh, definitely some weird experiences. And this one, I was with my brother. This was in 2009, and it was... um, in the summertime it was really beautiful out like great weather we were out for a few days and uh there's a prominent geological feature in that wilderness area called weaver's needle and um there's lots of trails kind of like all over all over the place and you can really easily kind of go off trail there just because it's desert and it's open and it's kind of easy to tell where you are but by no means was i really familiar with it but we were going off map. I wasn't paying attention and looking at the map, but I knew I didn't want to go to Weaver's Needle. And I was kind of like in the back of my mind trying to make sure we didn't end up around Weaver's Needle because that's kind of at the center of a lot of the weird stuff that's happened there. And uh, yeah, you should um, do some research and look it up. It's uh, I know there's lots of skinwalker lore there and there was like a rash of beheadings that happened in the 80s. and. You know, it definitely has a vibe to it when you're there with all the stories. Um, And so I just didn't want to go there. I didn't want to bring my brother there. But it was getting late, and so we needed to find a place to camp for the night. And we settled into a spot, found a nice spot, and um, got a little fire going. I was like, okay, I need to figure out where we are. And I pulled the map out and did some, you know, figuring and looking at the lay of the land and all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. And I just, like, hiked up the little ridge that we were right near. And there's Weaver Weaver's Needle, like, right there. We are right next to it. And so I was kind of, like, creeped out by that. Cause we, I was totally in the back of my mind trying to avoid it and thinking that I was, like, moving away from it. But we were, like, sucked right into it. It was really strange. And so I was, like, in a heightened state of uh, awareness feeling that you know odd energy of like being all of a sudden pulled towards this thing that I was trying to avoid so we were starting to cook some dinner and it was just I swear this was like one of the weirdest things I was there I was like crouching down by the fire doing something um I think we were like cooking hot dogs or something I was like putting my hot dog on the stick and nothing there was no sound there was nothing that compelled me but for some reason I turned around like I fully you know awkwardly it's not like I just I fully turned my body around and looked something compelled me to turn around I don't know what the heck it was man but they're like really low in the sky were these floating balls of light I swear to god it was crazy there were four of them and they were really big and I haven't told many people this story so it's kind of you know it's weird to say it out loud. Um, yeah, so there are these balls of light, and I remember staring at them and, like, having no comprehension of, like, what this was. Like, I couldn't figure it out. I, I wasn't scared, you know, because I, I was, like, my mind was blank, looking, like, trying to comprehend what I was looking at. I definitely remarked on, like, in my head, I, I was, like, the light, it's like it had no point of origin. It was It was, like, a ball of light that wasn't coming from like a light bulb you know like it was just like a 
a ball of space that was illuminated. It was really strange to look at. And then all of a sudden, like, I'm looking at him and I'm realizing what I'm seeing is really bizarre. Like, that it's something crazy. And it's like it clicked into my mind all of a sudden that it was something that I had no comprehension of what it was. And there was no, I I mean, they were just floating in the sky. They weren't moving. They they were static. Uh, They were kind of in like a pyramid shape, I guess. Like there's four lights and there were three that were kind of in a triangle and then one that would, you know, make the top of the pyramid, which was kind of smaller because that was like, that one seemed to be a little farther away really weird there was nothing in between them i don't know i have no idea what it was it was so weird it was definitely there though and as soon as i realized how crazy it was my mind like all of a sudden it's like fear just like exploded in me like i was terrified it's like you know all the hair on my skin stood up and i'm like a chill up my spine i'm like terrified all of a sudden and then it was like someone took a blanket and just threw it over it's like the lights just poof they just disappeared they like winked out like they just totally they didn't zoom away or anything they didn't it was just gone and my heart was racing and I couldn't believe what I saw and I turned back and my brother totally didn't see it was totally oblivious and and I just got a piece of paper and I wrote down like exactly everything that I could remember because I wouldn't I knew I wouldn't believe that I wouldn't believe myself unless I like wrote it down. Um, And so that's like the only little memory or documentation I have of it. But uh, yeah, that's my story and the superstitions. Pretty weird, who knows what that was. Okay, bye. Thank you, Eliza. As a fellow backpacker, I know the feeling when you see something that strikes you with fear. That sense is only heightened by the fact that you're miles away from civilization, hours from help, and all on your own. In most cases, it's a set of bear tracks, a a distant rattlesnake's rattle, or popping sounds in the nearby brush. It's only in rare cases like yours that it's something more mysterious, such as the craft in the sky. The Phoenix area is no stranger to UFO activity. The famous Phoenix Lights was an alleged UFO sighting which occurred over Phoenix and the surrounding areas back in March of 1997. The craft was sighted by thousands of people over a stretch of nearly 300 miles. Several of those witnesses caught the event on videotape. Included in those witnesses, the governor of the state of Arizona, Fife Symington. Here is a local news report of an interview with one family that got an up-close and personal look at the craft. Three months ago tonight, something strange happened in the skies over Arizona that still hasn't been fully explained. And in reality, we may never know exactly what happened that night. Tonight, first on Fox, we hear from a Phoenix family who may have been closer to whatever it was in the sky, closer than anyone else. It's getting closer and closer, it was saying... You know, that thing's coming right at us. Tim Lee and his family are among the hundreds of witnesses who've come forward to talk about the night of March 13th, an event now known as the Phoenix Lights. 
The Lees first saw the lights while looking north from their home in the Sunny Slope Mountains. When it finally got here and we realized this thing was coming right over us, we really started getting antsy. And then when it went directly overhead without a sound, it was like, it was like that. It was so big. You couldn't even hear the wind. It was so quiet. It was just... It just didn't even do anything. It just came through. It was a giant V, all right? And the right side of the V went over us. The left side was like a couple blocks over it. You just didn't know what to do, you know? It was just like, my God, how big is this thing? It didn't seem threatening because when, when it was right overhead and we couldn't hear a sound, it was like you're just awestruck. Jim Delatoso has been researching UFOs for 20 years. Right now, he's in the middle of putting together a virtual reality model of what happened that night. He's talked to hundreds of witnesses about the night of March 13th, including the leaves. He thinks that he said if he had a tennis ball, he could have hit it. <laughs> he could have thrown a tennis ball at it. It was that close. It was very close. He just could have nailed it. I consider Tim Lee and his family to be very reliable and very important in the data that they've given us because they were so close that they could look up and as they said, almost touch it. The last light went right over my wife and I and there was no light on the ground, but I could see up inside that it was almost like a recess and it had fluorescent like light inside, like a gas light of some kind. You could see right through the middle of it, but it was like looking through two-way glass, like through a mirage that you see on the highway or something or just when it's real hot, right through there, you can see through, but there's no light coming back or anything like that. It was just really weird. Now, as for Eliza's encounter, it's interesting that she'd reported a pyramid shape. That's not too dissimilar from the reports of the Phoenix Light, as they were reported to be triangle or wedge-shaped. It's an intriguing encounter given the lore of the region and the area's history with UFOs. So thank you again, Eliza, for taking the time to call in. In our next submission, we must dive a little deeper. Deep enough to uncover a creature at the bottom of a New York lake. My dad is a seasoned trout and bass fisherman and has visited many bodies of water in upstate New York. He often went with his father and both of them liked night fishing for bass on Lake Kasayana, a very weedy, deep body of water. My dad's experience wasn't earth shattering, but he doesn't like to talk about it. He was out very late with my grandfather when he heard a splash, like a car being dropped in the water. He looked to his father, who seemed unnerved, but insisted it was just a bass jumping. My father maintains that what he heard was far too large to have been any bass. My uncle, my dad's brother, actually saw the thing. He has since passed away, but he told a few people about the time he leaned over the edge of the boat at night and saw two huge dinner plate-sized eyes staring back at him. He said the creature looked amphibian, he also didn't like to talk about the experience and refused to go back to the lake afterward. Two of my other uncles reported seeing something as well. I'll have to talk to my dad to get the details, but all of them are experienced fishermen and not prone to believe in mythical things. I haven't read any other stories from other people about Lake Kosayana. There are some camps along it, 
and it is very weedy, rocky, and deep. So who knows? Thank you for your submission. I'll be honest, I've never heard of Lake Kosayana, so I had to do a little research. It seems the lake is a naturally forming lake that covers just over 659 acres, with an average depth of 12 feet. The lake gets its name from a corruption of the word Kwabiana, the Native American name for the lake. Tradition says that this name means the Lake of the Three Pines, named for three enormous pines which grew on Oaks Point. Now, I say that to say this. I'm not doubting her claims in any way, but I read a lot on this lake, and I failed to find any other stories of mysterious sightings, just as the cholera did. The lake is a very popular vacation destination, so you would think that there would be some more claims reported. Now, on the other side of the coin, the lake is natural and quite old, so it's not impossible for something mysterious to call its depths home. Either way, thank you so much for submitting your story. I really do enjoy these lake monster tales. Our final call of the evening comes to us from the Toronto, Canada area. Let's give it a listen. Hi, so this story happened to my mother. Uh, She told it to me when I was probably about 8 years old, so it probably happened about almost 30 years ago or so. Uh, She was staying at a friend's cottage up uh, probably about two hours north of Toronto, Canada. Uh, She said that she was sleeping in the guest room with my father at her friend's cottage, and in the middle of the night, she sort of felt something stirring her awake. She said it was almost like something was on her knee, just being very gentle, like someone waking up in the morning, time to get up and go to school kind of thing. Um, She said she looked up, or she sat up and looked, and sitting at the edge of the bed was a very nicely dressed woman. Her hair was back. She was older, uh, so her hair was, you know, grayish uh, or very, you know, black, but like, start, probably in her, I would say, 60s, uh, earliest would be early 70s, uh, but very nicely dressed, black dress, very nice pearls on. Uh, I think she said they were purple pearls, or she remembers very dressed, very well-kept woman, I should say. Um, she said that she wasn't really scared. She felt very relaxed when she looked at the woman. She was almost sure that it was a dream at this point. And the lady just said, oh, it's okay, honey. Just go back to sleep. It's okay. Just go back to sleep. The mother said that, you know, again, she was so confident that it was a dream or that, you know, she just felt so peaceful that she, sure enough, just went back to sleep. And she could feel the, the, the weight of the woman sitting at the, uh, at the foot of the bed down by her feet. So the next morning, my mom's friend, Debbie, asked her and said, uh, how did you sleep last night? Did, uh, uh, you know, were, were, were you able to sleep through or anything? And my mother said, you know, it's really funny. Um, I, I slept great, but in the middle of the night, you know, I had the strangest dream. And when she started to describe uh, what had happened to her, her friend got very, very nervous or very, seemed unsettled, I should say, more so than anything. Um, when my mother asked, you know, what was wrong, she said, you know what, uh, Teresa, my, my mother, when she stays here, she says that she sees the same woman sometimes in that room at the middle of the night. Uh, the, the cottage was actually owned by an old widow. So, kind of a nice story. As a kid, it scared the bejeebies out of me. Uh, I, I remember crying that night when I went to bed because I was so scared of ghosts and all that. Like, but when you think about it now and you're older, it's almost a nice story to hear. Uh, I just keep thinking my mom was very, very peaceful. So whenever I think of stories about a ghost scaring me, I always kind of think of that and think, oh, well, maybe they're not all so terrifying. Anyway, that's my story, and thanks for letting me share it. 
Thank you for sharing your mother's experience. As far as ghostly run-ins go, this one could not have been more peaceful. I'm especially surprised to hear that the entity spoke to his mother. That's actually not all that common to hear. The corroborating encounter really lends to the credibility of this story, but it makes me wonder if anyone else has encountered a ghost but simply declined to share their story. Thank you again for sharing. Before I leave you, I want to touch on a story I shared during last week's show. If you recall, during episode 15, we heard from a gentleman in North Carolina who claimed to have had some pretty terrifying encounters with the spirit in his apartment. After last week's show, the caller reached back out to me with additional details. The following is an email I received from him furthering his experiences. I lived in that apartment from September 98 to September of 2003. Toward the end, I did try to get in touch with the parapsychology department at Duke University. I never got a call back. I wonder why. This was just before digital cameras and cell phones with cameras became commonplace, so I never got a chance to do any type of investigating. I did get a really nice film camera for Christmas back in 99. A few nights later, I walked through the apartment with the lights dim and took some pictures. There was only one that was strange. In that photo, there was a sort of white mist above the bed near the headboard. I took pictures of all the rooms, and that was the only one that had anything strange on it. I did do some looking into the area back then, and even looked into it again recently. It seems about a mile from the apartment is a college called William Peace University, which back in the day was just called Peace University. Back then, it was a women's-only school. I knew women that went there, and they told me a lot of stories about that place being haunted. I found out that it had, in fact, been used as a field hospital during the Civil War, though I doubt the entity dated back that far. The spring following that final incident... After months of avoiding the place at night, I had somewhat of a breakthrough in one of the strangest ways. I started dating a woman who was an artist going to school in Greensboro, which is about 75 miles west of Raleigh. After she visited a few times, I told her about the things that had been happening in my house. She said she had a sister who practiced Reiki. I knew nothing about Reiki or what it even was, so she explained how it was the ability to move energy or remove energy from the human body. She also said that it was possible for her sister to charge a crystal with positive energy to keep my apartment spirit-free. I literally laughed at her when she told me that. I told her that I didn't believe in that kind of stuff, but since it couldn't hurt anything, I told her to ask her sister to do it for me. Her sister did so, and I got the crystal. After that, I never experienced another strange sound or smell or object being out of place things with her had sort of run their natural course and we hadn't spoken for quite a while. Then one night I had a bizarre dream about her. I had seen her in a field that had a muddy river running through it. There was one tree and under the tree the ground had my kitchen tiles on it, white and black checkerboard. She looked strange, her skin was green and appeared to be rotting. The dream was intense and moved me to the point that I called her that week 
to tell her about the dream. After catching up for a bit, she asked why I was calling and I told her about the dream I had had. Once I told her, she screamed and dropped the phone. I heard her crying and she yelled for her roommate to pick up the phone. Her roommate, who I knew well, asked me what the hell was going on. I heard my ex yelling, Tell Jamie, the roommate, what you just told me. Tell her. So I told her the dream, word for word. She started crying and laughing and screaming. Oh my god. At this point, I wanted to know what the hell was going on. So I got my ex back on the phone and she told me. As I said, she's an artist, a painter in fact. She told me that she'd had a big art show coming up and that she was doing a series of paintings for the show, self-portraits. She explained the first two or three and then she said, I finished the last one last night. It's me with zombie skin in the foreground with a river on the left and a big tree in the background with my kitchen floor under it. At that point, I felt like throwing up. I got shaky and was absolutely speechless. I had basically dreamt her last painting as she was finishing it. We talked about it a little bit, and I think we both decided it had something to do with a crystal. We said our goodbyes, and that was that. I'd like to thank that caller for all the additional details. I can imagine why the ex-girlfriend freaked out the way she did. It would be very jarring to have someone deliver information like that without any kind of explanation. As far as the history of the location is concerned, if there was a battlefield hospital that close, it's very possible that the land the apartment sits on now was part of an actual battlefield. This could explain a good deal of the encounters the caller experienced. That part of the country is rife with historical tragedies. As far as the photo that the caller mentioned, if you'd like to see the photo, please head over to www.heretherebemonsterspodcast.com and click under the show notes section. Under episode 16, you will find the image. Well, that about wraps it up for this week's episode. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. Remember, if you have a tale to tell, please call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT or go to the website to submit anonymously. Please take a few minutes to follow the show on Instagram and Facebook. And also, while you're at it, rate and review the show on iTunes. It only takes a minute or two, and the review goes a long way to help the show grow. Head on over to Cryptopia.us and show the guys over there a little love by reading their blog. And finally, help me pay for this wild ride. You see, I'm an artist on the side. I create all kinds of dark art. In fact... I just sold a reproduction of the string of human ears collected by the headhunters of the Azmat tribe in Papua New Guinea to a buyer back in Rhode Island. So trust me, if you're a fan of this show, you will love what my shop has to offer. Just head on over to Etsy.com and search for The Rag and Bone Emporium, or simply follow the links on the show's webpage. Alright folks, that's it for tonight. Thank you all for listening, and until next week... 